Well, before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to give you guys an update on where we're at, especially if you call this uh, church, Real Life, your home. If you're new with us, this is just an opportunity for you to kind of know what God's doing in our church when it comes uh, to finances. But for those of you guys that are part of our church, I want to update you. We do this every single quarter where we update you on where we're at financially as a church. And uh, really, our finances are tied to our vision. We exist to reach the world for Jesus 1% at a time. And so for us as a church, we're always going to ask the question, what does it take to fund the ministry that Jesus called us to? And what does it mean to fund the mission? And uh, what part are you playing in that is a good reflection piece as we continue to be about making disciples and make disciples and seeing people that are far from Jesus come to know Jesus. Uh, the, the mission requires funding. And there are so many of you that give continually. And I just want to say thank you to those of you that give continually and obediently to Jesus. Uh, so quarter two for us, our budget runs from June to July. And I told you guys last quarter about quarter two of October, November, December finances. We had a goal of quarter two, $87,363. And we wrapped up in December bringing in $98,145, which was an incredible. Absolutely. We can sell Right, that which is incredible to see uh, what the Lord is doing in your guys' hearts that you're willing to give anything your life, your time, your talents, your resources for the sake of the mission. We just wrapped up quarter three January, February, March. Our income goal was $92,691, and we actually ended up with this $118,620. That's a miracle. We're on pace to bring in um, the most income we've ever had in the history of our church in a budget year. And that's because um, you guys believe in the mission of Jesus and you want to see people come to know Jesus and you want to see people be radically transformed uh, by Jesus. And so we've got one more quarter left to wrap up our budget year. This is our income goal for quarter four. And uh, for those of you guys that have been giving, continue to give um, and have been tithing, thank you for saying yes to God in regards to that, saying that the 10% belongs to God. I'm giving back to him what is rightfully his and trusting God with the rest. And for those of you that haven't been giving, my encouragement to you is to reflect on why. What is the heart what is the root? What's keeping you from joining in the mission that God has for you? Here's the thing. The Bible is really clear that if you withhold from God, he withholds blessing. That's the reality. And in America, we hold on to money tightly. We're the richest country in the world, and it's become an idol in our country. And so what does it look like for you as a disciple of Jesus to partner with God and to be a part of his mission, his blessing in your life? Uh, God has more to do for us in our church and in this community. Would you partner with us? Would you partner with us with what God is doing in and around us and in this community? So with that being said, let's jump into David. David and Goliath. We stopped last week starting the David and Goliath story and stopped right as David is about ready to enter into the battle. And that was our closing part of the, of the message was, are you willing to step into the battle? Are you willing to step into the battle that God has called you to? And are you willing to, to engage? Or are you sitting back in complacency? Are you sitting back in fear? Are you sitting back and engaging? Or are you allowing the battle to come to you. This week, we're going to look at how David engages in the battle as he goes after Goliath. Let's take a look at the story. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a armor on him and a helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. He was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth tones from the stream, put, put, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and, and handsome, and he despised him. Uh, probably because he looked better than him. That's probably why. Uh, and he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head brought it to Jerusalem and he put the Philistines weapons in his own tent most of us will live our lives like I talked about last week not going to battle not going to war but the story of David and Goliath has significant spiritual implications for how we're called to battle how we're supposed to step into the war and I want to just give you a couple thoughts today as we take a look at this story about what it means for us spiritually in the way we live our lives. First thing I want you to notice is look at verse 39. It said that David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. So Saul, the king of Israel at the time, sends David out and says, there's a part of Saul, you almost look like he kind of feels bad that he's sending this little kid out. So he's like, well, put my armor on. Put, put, put this on and go and, and wage the war, which gives us kind of a picture as to David as he tries to put on this armor. Armor was always fitted to the soldier. It was always fitted to the person. So he tries to take Saul's armor, put it on this little kid, a uh, boy, and it doesn't work. So much so that Saul says, I can't, I can't go to war with this. And he takes it off which is something for us to consider. You can't wear someone else's armor. 
You're called to step into the battle that God's called you to, but you can't wear someone else's armor. You're not called to wear someone else's armor. You're called to step into the battle with your armor. What does that mean? Spiritually, what does that mean? It means a lot of different things, but I do know it means this. Husbands, if you're a believer of Jesus and your wife is a believer of Jesus, you can't wear your wife's armor, meaning you can't live off of your wife's relationship with Jesus. Are you with me? You need to be with Jesus and your spouse needs to be with Jesus, but you can't live off of your wife's relationship or your spouse's, your husband's relationship with Jesus. Each of you needs to step into the battle that God's called you to and wage war against the enemy. It's not gonna work if you're like, I'm good as long as my wife is good. I'm good as long as my husband is good. No, you are called to wage war. And that war that scripture talks about is that the Bible is the, is the sword of the spirit. That we're supposed to be a people that abide in Jesus and go to war spiritually. And so are you putting on your wife's or your spouse's, your husband's armor and engaging the battle? Or are you putting on your own? You can't put someone else's armor on. You gotta put your own on. Why else do you need to put on armor? Look at what the story goes on to say. Verse 42 talks about how Goliath looked at David over and saw that he was just a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog? You can do with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. What we learn in this story is that David steps into the battle, like we talked about last week, and as he steps into the battle, sometimes in our own minds, we think that as long as I step into the battle, that I'll, that I'll win, because as we just sang, the battle is the Lord's, and the victory is going to be the Lord's, but here's what we have to understand. As we step into the battle, the enemy will not stop talking to you. Dominic got baptized last week, was an agnostic for most of his life, now believes that Jesus actually died and actually resurrected and is ready to put his life, stake his life on that claim. And I told Dominic last week, just so you know, the things that the enemy has told you before, he's not going to stop telling you those things over and over again. The enemy will not stop shaming. Follow Jesus. If he talked to you before, he's going to talk to you even more because you've now crossed over to enemy lines. Are you with me this morning? You've crossed over to enemy lines and he wants to make sure that you don't live a life full of potential in what God has for you. You've now become an enemy because you're now waging war against the enemy. And the enemy will not stop talking. The enemy will not stop shouting. The enemy will not stop shaming because you have a relationship with Jesus. He knows your potential. But he will tell you that you are a fraud. He will tell you that you are an imposter. He will tell you that you don't have what it takes. And by the way, you don't have what it takes. But because Jesus is in your life, you have what it takes. Are you with me? You have what it takes because Jesus is with you. And so would you be willing to step into the battle knowing that the enemy will not stop talking to you? David stepped into the battle and the Philistine ramped up his trash talk. Did you notice that? He must have went and got training on the trash talk because Goliath was good at it, right? But look at David. He's pretty good at the trash talk too. Look at what David has to say. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give 
the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is not the Lord's. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. We've been talking about this through the whole sermon series. Keep bringing it up. Hopefully it's starting to stick. How does David carry himself? What does he care about? He cares about who? Who? God. And specifically God's what? His name. In the Hebrew word is Kaddush Hashem. For those of you that are new, we're going to teach it to you. For those of you guys that have been here, we need your help. Say Kaddush Hashem. It means to make God's name famous. David understands that his life is about God's name, not his own, and that if it's about God's name, then God's called me to step into the battle and to represent God and represent God well. You'll notice he says, you've defied the Lord's name. You're going against the Lord's name. And I'm here to step in to defend God's name. David knows his why and aligns his why to God. David understands his why, and he aligns his why to God. I'm stepping in to defend God's name. David's not coming in to get Saul's approval. David's not stepping in to get his brother's approval. You remember, David's brothers were guilting and shaming him last week in the story, saying, why are you here? Go back to taking care of the sheep. You just want to be here for yourself. And David's like, excuse me. I'm not here for myself. I'm here for God. He's not here to get the approval of Israel. He's not here to impress his father. He understands he's already got God's favor, and he's here to represent God. He is not intimidated. He is doing what is right. And he's stepping into the call that God has put in his life. When nobody else would Kaddish Hashem, David says, is no one else going to step in and do something? So he steps in to defend God's name because he knows his why. And still the Philistine intimidates. The enemy intimidates. But I want you to notice how, how David continues to press in. Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, look at this next line. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love that line. I love that line. Because, I don't know about you, you got Goliath, big dude, right? You guys have probably seen Big Drew worshiping here, and he's not here this morning. Big Drew, you know who I'm talking about, right? He sits right over there. He looks like a Goliath, right? Imagine that guy coming at you, but three feet taller. And as he comes at you, David doesn't step back. It doesn't say that David ran the other way. That's probably what I would do, just to be honest, right? But he doesn't. He, he runs quickly towards the Philistine. He runs after the enemy. David's living a life of living a life on the offensive. He understands his why. He understands what he's called to. He understands it's about God's name, not his own. And he's running on the offensive towards the enemy. He is not complacent. He's not running away in fear. He is living a life on the offensive. And for us, that means a lot of different things. 
Do we live with an abiding relationship with Jesus every day on the offensive? Do we wake up in the morning? Do you wake up in the morning and realize you are in a battle, you are in a war, and you are going to work on the offensive, meaning that you are going to get up, and if you're going to wage war, it starts with being in God's word in the morning. And if God's called you to live a life in the battle, are you willing to be in his word? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to live a life of worship? Are you willing to worship? on the offensive. Do you understand that when you come here on Sunday morning and we worship as we just worshiped, that we're actually waging warfare? That when we sing the songs that we're singing, we're living a life on the offensive. The songs that we sing up here and the lyrics that we sing are declaring who God is and who we are. And oftentimes the things that we sing are not the things that we believe or that we really trust. Are you with me this morning? We're waging war. When we sing. And for some of you who came this morning, you're like, I'm just not in a place to sing. Guess what? We'll sing for you. We'll wage war with you. We will sing on the offensive. We will be a people that wage against the enemy and that sing as he's called us to sing. We are a people that are called to serve, called to give. Why do we give? To wage war. Why do we serve? To wage war. Why do we Make a meal for people that are struggling to wage war. Because the enemy doesn't want his church to move forward. The enemy does not want his people to be a people that, that are on the offensive. He wants us to be confused, intimidated. But David doesn't live that way. He lives on the offensive, running towards the battle line to meet him. And then look at verse 49. It says, Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now, I don't know what it is about this story. Maybe it's my little uh, childhood that comes up. But I just, I think of this sling and this rock and I think about the old school slingshot. You know what I'm talking about? Old sling, old school slingshot. Did anybody have an old school slingshot growing up? Okay. I never had one. I always wanted one, but I'm sure my mom thought I was afraid I was going to poke my brother's eye out or something, right? I never got one. But I think of like a little pea shooter, right? And the reality of it is, is that's not how ancient Israel, that's not how David waged war against the Philistine. This is a picture of the slings of maybe, maybe slings. There it is right there. This is what they had uh, little round rocks that were very specific for sling throwing, about the size of a golf ball. And when you look at that, you go, that really kill Goliath? Yeah, it did. You want to know how? Well, it wasn't like, you know, old school slingshot like what we're used to. And we also think that it had to do with maybe throwing it overhead winding up overhead, but this is what an archaeologist says, is that slingers often visualized as releasing overhead, yet the best way to utilize a sling is an underhand motion like a softball player. Do you have any softball players in here? Fast pitch. One, two, three, four. Okay. You guys know how it works, right? Mm, right? That's how they did it. They would wind up, maybe only once, and they would sling a rock the size of a golf ball. They were so good at what they did. These rocks, 150 miles an hour would come out of these slings. Imagine getting hit by a golf ball, 150 miles an hour, right in the forehead. It'd kill you. They had armor 
A lot of these rocks would actually pierce armor. These slingers were so accurate in, the, in, the, uh, in Israel, they could hit targets up to 200 yards out. Just so you guys know, I had some friends that got a hold of these one time on a men's retreat. And I, let me tell you, like, I was afraid for my life a little bit. Because guys are starting to sling, so rocks are flying everywhere. I'm like, I'm out of here, boys. Like, I've seen David and Goliath. I'm out, right? I see how this ends, right? Those rocks come out of there moving. And David, David, he steps forward and he says, all right, this is the battle. And what David chooses to do, do is he chooses to throw his stone. He chooses to throw it. He chooses to go after the enemy on the offensive and throw his stone. What about you? What about you? What has Jesus called you to do? And are you willing to throw your stone? Are you willing to be a person that steps into the battle and throws a stone? And by the way, I love the imagery that's used here. How many stones did uh, David grab? Anybody catch that number? Five. Any Jew who reads the story and sees the number five, the first thing they think about, because numbers are some symbols for them and they mean, have meaning for them. The number five represents Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What is that to a Jew? Does anybody remember? Torah, that's right. So David steps in saying, the Lord goes before me and I'm gonna bring the word of the God with me, word of God with me, the Torah with me, and I'm gonna go to battle against the Philistine. And I'm gonna throw my stone because I'm called to represent God. I'm called to carry his name with me and to honor Kedush Hashem, his name. And this person has defied the Lord's name. Throw your stone. So David steps in and he throws his stone. But here's the thing. Almost every single time we read the story, we miss a really, really important story. A really important part of the story. What is it? It's this passage. Judges chapter 20. At once, the Benjamites. Everybody say Benjamites. The Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from their own towns in addition to 700 able young men from those living in Gibeah. Among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed. Everybody put your left hand up in the air and wave it like you just don't care. Okay, sorry. Each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. These guys were soldiers, slingers. Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 swordsmen, all of them fit for battle. Gets better. First Chronicles chapter 12. These were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling, what's it say? Stones, right-handed or left-handed, and they were the relatives of Saul from the tribe of what? Who's the king right now? Saul. And not only is Saul the king, but Saul comes from the Benjamites who are, who are they? They're what? Who should be going up against Goliath? Saul should be. 
He's a slinger. He comes from the tribe of Benjamin. He knows how to sling a rock, but Saul doesn't step into the battle. David does. Saul should have been the one going against Goliath, not David. But David was the only one that said, you know what? If no one's going to step in, I will. And God said, I'm going to honor that because no one else will. What about you? What is God calling on you to do when it comes to his mission, his movement? And are you going to throw your stone or are you going to let someone else throw the stone for you? Here's the thing. Every single one of you here, if you're breathing, God's not done with you. Are you with me? If you're breathing, God has something for you. And he wants you to throw your stone. Well, I'm tired. I don't have the energy like I used to. I'm past my prime. That's from the enemy. It's from the enemy. The Lord wants you to throw your stone. And it doesn't matter where you're at this morning, in him and your relationship with him, he's inviting you to engage in the battle. He's inviting you to make a difference in this world because we're only here for a short amount of time, but he's called you to something. What is it? And are you gonna throw your stone? Are you gonna throw your stone? My friend and mentor who, who taught me this passage, Marty Solomon says, if you're, if you're alive, throw it. And whatever it is, throw it. If you're in the business world, you're an entrepreneur, you have a calling in that, in that area to throw your stone, to represent God well. What is it? For those of you guys that live in healthcare, throw your stone. When it comes to sales, throw your stone. When it comes to college, high school, middle school, throw your stone. God's calling on you to do something amazing for him that only you can do because as the psalm says, when God knit you together in your mother's womb, when God created you, do you realize that it says that God can count the hairs on top of your head, that he knows you and that he made you unique because he looked at the world and he said, I don't have one like this and the world needs this. The world needs you. To show the world what God is like. Throw your stone. What does that look like? It means worshiping God, the one and only true God. It means representing him well in your home. It means not living with anxiousness because there's nothing to fear because God's already won the, the battle. It means pointing your kids to Jesus every single day showing them what it means to open his word and to pray together. It means going to your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and spending time with them, inviting them into your home and having a meal together. That's throwing your stone. You know, you're saying, well, does that really make a difference? Yes, it makes a difference because we live in a world that is so jacked up right now, you guys. Nobody knows what peace looks like. Would we offer the world peace maybe? What would it look like for you to throw your stone? What does it look like for you to engage in the battle? And are you willing to be a, a person that represents Jesus to the world? Another one of my mentors said this, it stuck with me. In life, we carry two really heavy things. One of them is discipline, if we're willing to carry discipline. And the other thing he said is regret. Which one do you think weighs heavier? I'd say regret. Throw your stone. Throw your stone. What would it look like if we 
as God's people, if you, as a woman or man after God, through your stone, what would it look like? And what is keeping you from actually doing that? I want to invite you as we close out, we're going to move to the Lord's table and get ready for communion. I want to invite you just to bow your heads and just wrestle with the Lord about that question. Am I throwing my stone? Am I, am I living a life engaged in the battle? Am I living a life honoring God's name? Is that what matters to me? And if you're not, why not? What has the enemy told you that's not true? And would you be willing just to spend some time reflecting this morning as you talk to Jesus about that? Stepping into the battle, throwing your stone. Spend time with Jesus talking to him about that this morning.